Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Daryl and Regina Stetler recently retired from full-time pastoral ministry, but they are still very active in the work of the Lord. Daryl preached this message back in 1993 at the God's Bible School and College Fall Revival in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he titles it, The Beauty of Holiness. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, the 29th Psalm. I appreciate the confirming of the Lord for the message tonight, the songs Brother Wolf chose, and uh, then the message of the song just before the message. I, I appreciate the message of that song as well, for it goes along with part of what I want to consider tonight. The 29th Psalm, and I'll read just verse 2. Psalm 29, reading just verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The same words, almost identical words, are found a second time in Psalm 96. Verse 8 and 9. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And there the writer adds, fear before him all the earth. Almost identical words are found a third time. First Chronicles chapter 16, parts of verse 29 and 30. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him, all the earth. You might guess that I see in these passages of Scripture the theme, the beauty of holiness. Now, I'm sure that there are various directions we could go with a text like this. I would like to propose the question, what is the relationship between holiness and humanity? As I study the Scripture over and over again, I see God drawing a link between the character quality we would call holiness and the character of men and women. I read in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 the clear command of God's Word when He says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God was not writing those words to the plant kingdom or the animal kingdom. God was writing those words to human beings, to people like you and me. And he said, be holy. I read the words of Luke chapter 1, verse 74 and 75. 
And the scripture there says that he would, that is God, would grant unto us that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, friends, whatever holiness is, God says he'll give me whatever I need to serve him in righteousness and holiness all the days of my life. I like the sound of that, don't you? That doesn't sound like this thing we call holiness is something I have to wait until the gates of heaven click behind my heels or until I've gone through some fires of purgatory. No, God says he'll give me what I need to be a holy man in this present evil world. I like the sound of that. I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse, or chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness is in direct contrast to the old lifestyle of the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I read on in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, Paul says, put on the new man. If you know that passage, you know he's already said, put off the old man. And then he says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I read on to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, that classic holiness text. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We could go on and look at other scriptures, but I think I've read enough to demonstrate the fact that over and over and over again in God's Word, God draws a link between the character quality of holiness and the character of real people. The question that comes to my mind is simply this. What does God propose to do to produce the beauty of holiness in people? I would outline it kind of like this. I won't deal completely with this outline, but I'll give it to you at least. I think the beauty of holiness, to, to adequately describe the beauty of holiness, maybe we would need these three points. It's man no longer deceived by his sin. It's man no longer defiled by sin. And it's man no longer deformed by sin. I don't think I would receive any argument from this congregation tonight when I would say that man in a native state of sin is not a picture of beauty. Sin's not a pretty picture, is it? I'll never forget a few years ago, I was pastoring in Birmingham, Alabama, the town of Leeds, Alabama, just down the road. There was something that happened in that town that hit the headlines in that area. I'll never forget one day the newspaper had a large colored picture on the front of the paper and the picture was a, a, a beautiful lady I would have judged to be about 30, attractive, well-dressed, looked to be upper middle class at least. A very nice looking man standing on the other side of the picture. The lady was holding a baby. The story was something like this. Five years before this, that marriage had disintegrated and ended in divorce. The judge, the courts had awarded custody of a child, just a little infant, just a few weeks old, to the daddy in this case. That mother did not want to give up that infant little girl, and so she took the child and fled the state, and for five years she lived as a fugitive through some of the missing children programs. Some way, someone recognized her. She was reported. They found her in the state of Wisconsin. They arrested her. They brought her and the child back. The child was now approaching her fifth birthday. 
In the picture on the front page of the paper, of course, they were, they were catching the, the scene of that mother giving that little girl to the, to the daddy. And of course, he was a man that that little girl didn't even know. And there was a look of anguish on that mother. Tears were streaming down her cheeks. That little girl looked totally terrified. She was gripping her mother's arms and you could see her knuckles were white and she was desperately clinging to her mother. And the daddy had a, a look of apprehension on his face as he reached out his hands to take the daughter. And the photographer snapped the picture. And I looked at that picture and I said, sin is so ugly. Sin is so ugly. Sin is so ruthless. Sin's not beautiful. Sin is an ugly picture. It always is. Young person, may I tell you tonight, if you allow sin in your life, you have the choice to allow sin. But at that point, sin takes over and it determines what it produces in your life. And it will make an ugly picture. Sin produces heartache and sadness. Sin produces uncontrolled appetite. Sin produces hatred and anger. Sin produces revenge and feuding and fighting and brokenness and broken homes and broken health and broken hearts and lost virtue. Sin is such an ugly picture. You know, man himself knows sin is not pretty. And as a result, our society goes to amazing lengths to hide beneath an outward decorative facade the effects of sin. Man goes to great lengths to bury the unhappiness and the ugliness of his life under a mad rush for pleasure. Man does everything he can to excuse and explain away the ugliness of his own sin with some kind of educated excuse. But friends, whatever you try to do to it, whatever face you put on it, wherever you try to bury it, whatever you try to excuse it with, I want to tell you sin always sticks up its ugly head and sin always produces the ugliness that it can alone produce. Sin's an ugly picture. But you know, sometimes I think in the church world we have so focused on the ugliness of sin and we have so focused on the reality of sin and made sin such a big villain and sin such a big disease until tragically so in the church world today, many, many times sin has become the incurable disease of the soul. But friend, I'm glad to tell you God in his great wisdom and God in his great love, I want to tell you God has provided a plan of redemption to deal adequately with the problem of sin in the human heart. I'm glad to tell you there is a remedy for sin. I'm glad we're not left to wring our hands and wonder what can we do about the problem. I'm glad we're not left with the guilt and the load of sin and struggling on with the bondage of sin. I'm glad to tell you that in the blood of Calvary and in the mission of Jesus Christ, there is a remedy for the problem of sin. God can take care of the problem. I would ask you tonight, can God make you a holy man, a holy woman? I think you know what I'm talking about when I say speak of the beauty of holiness, don't you? Do you know somebody that you look at and you just observe their life and their countenance and their attitudes and their deportment and you stand back and say, boy, that's a beautiful picture of holiness? <laughs> I remember a time in my life when I had to look at people like that and say, honestly, in my heart, I wish God could do that in me. 
I wish God could produce that spirit. I wish God could deal with the inner struggles of my own soul. I wish that God could wipe away the, the guilt of my life. I'm glad to tell you he can. <laughs> I want to consider for a few moments what God does to deal with the ugliness of sin. Now we know that if a person comes to the foot of the cross, if a person gets on their knees and begins to face squarely the sin of their life, we know that that person must confess his sin or her sin. We know that individual must repent of their sin. We know that that person must forsake their sin. I'm not basically dealing with that aspect of it in this message tonight. I want to consider for a little while what happens in the heart of a sinner person when God sees the repentant, confessing, forsaking spirit. What does God do in my heart if he wants to produce the beauty of holiness? Can God really do that? <laughs> Young people, if you don't get anything else from my message and my ministry in this week of revival, I hope somehow God can help you to get the message. God can deal with the inner issues of your soul. God can deal with the problem of sin in your life. Let's imagine for a moment. We'll say we have an individual standing here. For the sake of identification, we'll say a man. Of course, it could be a woman. We'll say we have a man standing here, and this man is a sinner. He has the bondage of sin, the actions of sin, the attitudes of sin, the lifestyle of sin. He has the guilt of sin, the habits of sin. He's just a sinner man. Can God take that person and in a real way make that individual different than he is? How does he do it? Well, I want to tell you the first thing that God must deal with in the heart of any sinner is the list of sins for which I am guilty. The commissions of sin in my life, those things that have estranged me from a holy God, those actions of rebellion I have chosen to commit, those things that are on the record in heaven, those things that have caused me to be far off, those things that have brought guilt to my life, those things that I have done in violation of his law. The songwriter said it like this, the list was growing every day for I was always sinning and never tried to pay. You remember that list, don't you? <laughs> I remember as a teenage boy laying my head on my pillow at night and suffering the guilt of sin. Oh, there were many things God saved me from before I ever got in them. I'm thankful that that's so. But there were things in my life that brought the condemnation and the guilt of sin. I suffered under the guilt of that sin. But I'm glad for the day when I came and knelt at an altar of prayer and began to confess my sin and get my attitude in a proper relationship and began to, and began to tell God I was guilty as I was charged. And I want to tell you God looked down from heaven and God dealt with the guilt of sin in my life in what we would call in theological terms justification. Now, that's a great big word, but it's really not that hard to understand. Someone asked a little boy one time, what does it mean when God justifies you? He said, that means when God makes it just as if I'd never sinned. 
Friend, I want to tell you tonight, it's wonderful to come to the place in your life where you know that every sin that you've ever for, have ever committed has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ and God, for Jesus' sake, has forgiven and cleansed and cleared the record in heaven. Friend, I want to tell you, God is the only one with the authority to speak and clear the record in justification. Maybe I can illustrate what I'm saying. Now, you may think this first or these first two nights that I get all of my illustrations from my brother. <laughs> I really don't. In fact, this may be the last one I use. I'm not sure. He quickly informed me last night I was to be careful. <laughs> but I remember when I was approaching teen years, Danny being three and a half years older than me, I was reaching the teen years and he was in that 16 bracket, you know, where you get your driver's license. Danny was kind of a notorious driver. Typical heavy foot, you know. Hmm. I could tell you more, but I won't. <laughs> One day Danny was driving out here on Central Parkway. Central Parkway is a nice wide street. There's a school on Central Parkway. In those days, it was called Central High School. I think it's a technical college or something now, but in those days, Central High School. And Central High School is situated up on the hill from Central Parkway and Danny was driving down Central Parkway, a nice four-lane street, kind of really wasn't going that fast, but he didn't realize he had entered a school zone. That school was way up on the hill, and he didn't see it, didn't notice the sign, and he was just going down the road with very few thoughts about such things. But the flashing light in his rearview mirror brought him back to reality. He pulled to the side of the road. He met the officer, and the officer said, I'd like to see your driver's license. He very nervously, as a 16-year-old boy, pulled out his wallet and found his driver's license and gave them to the officer. The man checked them over and then looked at my brother and said, Son, I clocked you going 47 miles an hour in a 20-mile school zone. I'm going to write you a citation. Well, he did. And, of course, here in the, in the state of Ohio, if your speed exceeds 15 miles over the posted speed limit, you can't just send in your money, you know, Visa or MasterCard or whatever and wish you didn't have to do it. You have to go to traffic court and face the judge and stand there as the accused with all the rest of the criminals, you know. Well, the officer said on the back of this citation, son, you'll find a date. That's your court date. You're to appear in court, traffic court, downtown Cincinnati. There's the address. You be there. The day arrived. My brother, very scared, went to traffic court. He entered the court and he said he looked up there and there was a man in a black robe with half glasses and he had him perched down on his nose and he said he was looking down at me with a very stern expression and he said, I didn't see an ounce of mercy in that man. He gaveled court into session. He looked at my brother and said, young man, I understand you're accused of speeding in a school zone. My brother's head was going like this. You know, that's what you do in those kind of situations. You, you agree. And the judge said, son, I want to tell you something. He said, in this city, we have several hundred schools and we have thousands of kids, children, young people attending those schools. He said, we happen to love our children. He said, we happen to value their lives. And because we do, we have gone to the streets that surround every single school in this city and we've lowered the speed limits to a school zone speed limit, which happens to be 20 miles an hour. My brother's head was still going like this. 
He said, I want to tell you something, young man. This court doesn't look kindly on people that violate the law and speed in school zones and endanger the lives of our children. My brother's heart that was low was now getting lower. <laughs> he was seeing very little hope in this situation. The judge looked off to one side and said, read the charge against Mr. Stetler. A man standing there lifted his copy and said, he looked it over good and finally looked at the judge with a confused expression and said, sir, I, I, I'm not sure why, but my, my copy of the citation doesn't tell me how fast Mr. Stetler was going. The judge with a stern expression looked at Danny and said, how fast were you going? My brother produced his copy of the citation and said, well, your honor, my copy says, and the officer told me I was going 47 miles an hour in a 20-mile school zone. The man over here said that'll be fine, your honor. Mr. Stetler was caught going 47 miles an hour in a 20-mile school zone. Proceed with the case. The judge looked thoughtful for a moment and then said, wait a minute. He said, now, son, I've already told you why we have school zones. I've already told you this court doesn't look kindly on people that violate the law and break that school speed limit. But he said, I asked you a simple question a moment ago. You could have told me you didn't know. You could have told me you weren't speeding. You could have lied about it. But I asked you a simple question and you, you simply told me the truth. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Since you were honest with me, I'm going to tell you that this court doesn't ever want to see you in this courtroom again for this reason. My brother's head was still going like this. He was glad to agree with that. But that judge said, since you were honest with me, I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to dismiss this case. You're free to go. Now, it took just a moment for that to sink in to a scared 16-year-old teenage boy. But I want to tell you when he realized what that man had said, you didn't have to talk him into leaving. He is ready to go. You know why? The only man in all the world that had the authority to speak and by the authority of his word to clear the record that was against him had just spoken and the record was clear. You can go down to Cincinnati, down to the courthouse here in Cincinnati, and I suppose you could look back and try to find the day when one Daniel Stetler was going 47 miles an hour when in a 20-mile school zone on Central Parkway. But before you waste your time, I want to tell you the record's clear. You won't find it there. I'm glad for the day when I was kneeling on my knees and I was crying out to God, not for justice, but I was begging God for mercy. I wasn't trying to hide my sin. I wasn't trying to hide it in a corner or sweep it under the rug. I wasn't blaming mom and dad. I wasn't saying it's God's Bible school's fault. I wasn't saying the preacher did it. I wasn't saying I was just born this way. No, I was saying, oh God, I'm a guilty sinner. I'm guilty as you charge me. And if you'll have mercy on my poor lost soul and forgive my sin, I'll give you everything and I'll serve you with all of my heart. And I want to tell you, God, for Jesus' sake, came down in my repenting soul and God forgave every sin of my past. And I'm glad to tell you this, uh, this Tuesday night, God has wiped out every sin and forgiven the, and cleared the record in heaven. And you can look if you want to, but I want to tell you before you waste your time, there are some things back there I'm not proud of, but I'm glad to tell you they're under the blood of Jesus Christ and he's put my sins in the See of his forgetfulness never to be remembered against me anymore. Friend, I want to tell you it's wonderful to be justified and have every sin forgiven. Oh, I know sometimes the devil bothers us about our past, doesn't he? <laughs> he tries to drag out what God has forgiven. I understand that. I'm probably talking to some young people that have struggled with that. 
I heard about a boy hadn't been saved too long and he came to a dear saint and he was troubled. The devil had been trying to drag out those things that God had put in his, the sea of his forgetfulness, never to be remembered against him anymore. And he said to this dear saint, sister, does the devil ever bother you about the sins of your past that God has forgiven? Oh, yes, she said, he does sometimes. That boy felt like he was finding some help. And so he said, sister, what do you do when God or when the devil tries to bother you about the sins of your past? She said, well, son, I send the devil east to look for him. He wasn't sure about that, but he said, well, sister, when you've sent him east, does he ever come back? Every once in a while he does. Well, what in the world do you do if he comes back? She said, well, son, I send him west to look for him. My Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed my transgressions from me. I'm glad to tell you that this Tuesday night, every sin of your past, whatever it is, however black it is, however ugly it is, God can forgive every sin and wipe the slate clean and give you a fresh start. Our sister sang about that a moment ago. <laughs> but God's not done yet. God not only justifies clearing the record, but God regenerates changing the nature. <laughs> now, we sometimes categorize these things in a theological sense so we can understand them. Really, this all takes place in a moment of time. But I want to tell you, God not only speaks clearing the record and forgiving my sin, but God reaches right down on the inside of me and makes a difference and makes a change and gives me the touch of new life. Friend, I still believe in a radical old-fashioned experience of saving grace that will reach right down in the inside of you and make you a new boy, make you a new girl, make you a new creature in Christ Jesus where old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Friend, I'm glad to tell you God can still transform and make you a new person. I may be talking to some precious young people right here tonight who have struggled in your life. And you've tried to turn over a new leaf. And you've tried to reform yourself and you've tried to make the difference in your own strength. I want to tell you, you'll never make the difference in yourself. You'll never, you'll never be able to turn over a new leaf and start anew. But I'm glad to tell you, if you'll come to the foot of the cross and plead only the mercy of God and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm glad to tell you the, that the blood of Jesus Christ will go deeper than the stain of sin has ever gone and God will touch you with a touch of new life and you'll have new desires and new attitudes and new direction, you'll sense that God has made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's wonderful to be regenerated. <laughs> but God's not done yet. He not only justifies clearing the record and regenerates changing the nature, God adopts me into his family, changing my family relationship. <laughs> I'll never forget a few years ago, we were at the convention in Dayton and Brother Noel Scott was speaking in the building for keep service. Brother Scott was talking, and of course they deal with some, try to deal with families and family issues and so forth. And in that particular service, Brother Scott was dealing with adoption. Brother and Sister Scott adopted three children a number of years ago, a brother and two sisters from the same family. And he was telling in that service about the adopting process. 
Brother Scott just couldn't stay away from the spiritual application of it all. I remember him telling about the process, going through the process to adopt these children. They had been unable to have children of their own and finally had decided to adopt and the circumstances had come together and they had the privilege or the opportunity to adopt these two little girls and this little boy. Well, they went through all the processes, the background checks, filling out all the forms, all of the red tape. He said we had been given custody of the children, but we didn't have all the necessary arrangements for them to be our children. And of course, there was a measure of uncertainty and all in that period of time. But finally, he said, we finished all of the red tape. Quickly, these little children had wrapped their love around our hearts and we knew it would kill us if we had to give them up. But finally, the last form was filled out and the last notification was given and, and the last approval was through. And he said everything had been done with the exception of receiving the official papers from the state. He said his wife and himself were anxiously watching the mail. One day there were some official-looking envelopes from the state in which he lived in the mail. He said they anxiously went in the house and opened them, and it was the birth certificates, the official birth certificates from the state. You know, there's something quite thrilling about a birth certificate. We had a new baby in January of this year, and a few weeks ago I got that official-looking envelope. And I looked on that little piece of paper. It doesn't mean much, I guess, but it had the seal of the state I was in when that child was born. And I looked on there and it had his name, the name I gave him. And I looked on there and it had my name. I'm the daddy of that little boy. And there was my wife's name, the mother of that little boy. It's kind of a thrilling thing. Brother Scott said, we looked at those birth certificates and our hearts began to swell with thanksgiving. And he said, my wife began to weep. And I looked over there and she was looking on that birth certificate. And she said, look here, here's the, here's the place where the mother of these children is listed. And she said, it's got my name there. He said, I looked and sure enough, there was her name. And I looked on down and there was a place for the daddy to be listed. And he said, my name was listed as the daddy. Are you getting the spiritual message of that? I'm glad for the time when I came and knelt as an outcast. I was estranged. I was, a, I was an enemy. I was, I was one outside of the fold. But I'm glad to tell you God gave me the kiss of pardon. And God adopted me into his family. And God put royal blood in my veins. And God made himself my father. And Jesus Christ my elder brother. And friend, I want to tell you I'm not an illegitimate child. I'm a bona fide member of the royal family because I've been adopted into the family of God. <laughs> and the bondage of sin has been broken. <laughs> and the shackles of sin have been loosed. And the guilt of sin is gone. Maybe we ought to move our man from that side to this one, for he's been changed from the, the realm of spiritual death to the realm of spiritual life. I'm glad to tell you, friend, in 1993, God is still able to take a person that's in sin and make them a new creature. Adopt them into the family. Wipe the slate clean and give them something on the inside that's different. You say, preacher, what's the state of a person at that point? Well, I'm glad you asked. What is the state of a person at that point? 
They were over here with the bondage of sin and the shackles of sin and the, and the habits of sin and the guilt of sin. But now they've been forgiven. Now their name is written in heaven. Now God is their father. What is the state of a person in, in, at that point? Well, I like to look at it like this. First of all, that individual has gone out of the sinning business. I had a fellow say to me one time, now preacher, you know, don't you, that the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. Well, the Bible says that, but of course he took that verse out of context to make it say what he wanted it to say. All he needed to do was read on over to chapter 3 in 1 John. He would have read there the words, he that sinneth is of the devil. And he that is born of God doth not commit sin. I'm glad to tell you that when a person has been regenerated and forgiven and adopted into the family of God, the bondage of sin is broken and he goes out of the sinning business. By the way, I'm still on my subject. I'm talking about God producing the beauty of holiness. The old timers used to call that first work holiness begun. I still kind of like the terminology. Initial sanctification, I still kind of like the terminology. But you say, what's the state of that person at this point? Well, let me ask you another question. Why was that individual over here sinful in the first place? Are we sinful because we sin? Or do we sin because we're sinful? There's a difference. Maybe I can illustrate it. If I were to say to you, I'm going to describe an animal that has a chopped off looking nose, short legs, split hoofs, and a curly tail. You'd know what I was talking about, wouldn't you? No, some of you were raised in the city, weren't you? <laughs> Do we take that animal and take him out here into the barnyard and set him down and point over there to the corner to an old mud hole? I mean, it's slimy, it's dirty, it's muddy. Do we say to that animal, now, if you go wallow in that hole, that mud, you will become a pig. <laughs> no, that's not the way it works, is it? That animal we call a pig, he goes over there to the mud hole and he kind of groots around in it with his nose and finally he goes in deep and it falls down over his face and over his eyes and finally he walks out in it till it's up to his belly, you know, and then finally he just stretches out in it and lays his head over in it and enjoys. You know why he does that? He does it because he's a pig. Do you know why this man was over here with a sinful lifestyle and the sinful habits? In the sinful attitudes? I can tell you why. Because he had a sinful nature. May I tell you tonight, and I think, I know this is getting just a little bit theological at this point, but may I tell you all of the problems of outbroken sin in our life are always the product of an inward nature. We dare not overlook the fact that the nature is what causes men to live in sin. The nature is what causes men to lie and cheat and steal and kill. The nature of sin is what produces immorality. The nature of sin is what produces all the actions of sin. Now at this point, we're beginning to see a little clearer the nature of sin itself. 
For there are the actions of sin that I have committed. There are the choices to rebel against God that I have made. There are those actions of my life, those transgressions of my life that God must forgive and clear the record. When a person has been forgiven and regenerated and adopted into the family of God, there yet remains in that individual the nature of sin with which he was born, the nature of sin that caused all of his problem in the first place. And young person, may I say say it like this this Tuesday night, if the nature of sin is in your life, it won't be long until somewhere the circumstances of your life will gel and the circumstances of your life will produce the nature, the actions of the nature of sin again. Somewhere along the line, the devil will take advantage if somewhere the nature is not dealt with. For the nature of sin always produces its own character. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. That nature of sin is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Oh, I believe that God delivers us from the actions of sinning and the rebellion of our heart. The bottom line of a new birth experience is I cease my rebellion against God. I lay down my arms of rebellion. You know, at this point, I think I better make this statement. There's a very prevalent fallacy in our world today that talks about accepting Christ as Savior without making him Lord of my life. And you know, we talk about and here floated around accepting Christ. And then down the road somewhere, I'm going to make him Lord. Young people, I want to tell you tonight, you have to accept him as Lord to accept him as Savior. He cannot be your Savior if he is not your Lord. You cannot have rebellion in your heart against God, willful action of rebellion against the Lord. You have come to him and laid down your arms of rebellion when he forgave you. You laid down your arms of rebellion when he saved you. But I want to tell you there is yet a nature of sin and we have come to the crises in our generation of how we're going to deal with the nature of sin. I know there are many even within our holiness movement, that are rapidly moving toward what I call a sin management program. Until we call it something else, you know, personality quirks, all the rest. But friends, I want to tell you the nature of sin is still the nature of sin. And I still believe that God in his great plan of redemption has provided for a cleansing work in sanctifying grace that will beautify your character and produce in you the likeness of God. The nature of sin is not something you can discipline into subjection. The nature of sin is not something you can control. I remember a few years ago, we were shopping for Christmas presents for our children. We decided that we were going to buy our two older children sleeping bags for Christmas. We did. Christmas morning came. Our two older children opened their sleeping bags, rolled them out on the living room floor and camped out, you know. (laughs) Those sleeping bags, they said in the directions they were good down to about zero temperature. I don't know. We never tried them outside of the living room floor. But anyway, 
They came outfitted. They were nice, thick sleep, sleeping bags, and they came outfitted with a little slick nylon drawstring top bag that that sleeping bag was to be put in for storage. One day after kids had played with their sleeping bags on the living room floor for a while, my wife came in and said, this place looks awful. We're going to have to put these sleeping bags up for a while. And I got the job. Now, if you've never tried to put a big, thick, fluffy sleeping bag in a little slick nylon drawstring top bag, you owe it to your religion to try it. I went into the bedroom and laid the sleeping bag out on the floor. Now, when a sleeping bag is ready to get in, you know, it zips up. It's already two thicknesses thick. I was looking at that sleeping bag and I thought, if this goes into this, this has got to be rolled real tight. I folded it over again. That made it four thicknesses thick. I mean, it was thick. I spread my hands as big as I could get them and got the best grip I could get and began to roll that sleeping bag as tight as I could roll it. Tried to get out on me and I'd pull it back and roll it some more and finally I got it rolled up into a little ball. Of course, I left the bag back over there. Hmm. I got down on my hands and knees and I got the bag and I began to try to pull it on to the sleeping bag. I got it on on the top. It looked pretty good. I got it on on this side. I thought I've almost got it. I gave it a jerk over here, but it squirted out over here. I got it back on here, but when I did, it got out up here. I got it back on here and then it was over there. I said, this isn't going to work. I got that sleeping bag up under one arm. I thought maybe I can get it like this. I pulled it on here and tried to hold it with my chin and then pulled it over here and tried to get that thumb around there. And I pulled it on here and it got out of my thumb and I pulled it here and it got out of, I thought this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to have help. I want to tell you there are a lot of people living like that. God does a wonderful job of saving them and forgiving their sin, but they go along well for a while, and all of a sudden the circumstances of their life and the nature of sin begins to rise in their heart and begin to try to gain supremacy in their soul again. And friend, may I tell you tonight, young person, may I tell you tonight, if you allow the sinful nature to gain control in your heart again, you will violate the new birth experience and need to repent of that. I remember a preacher telling of a lady in his church. That particular lady became upset about something one day. She came to the parsonage. He said she was sufficiently upset that she didn't want to sit down. She was standing in the middle of the living room floor. They were discussing the problem and the temperature began to rise. You understand what I mean? Hmm. It wasn't long until her face was getting red. It wasn't long until she lost it. She lost control and she began to slap and hit and pound on the preacher's wife. I mean, literal. That preacher said, I did the only thing I knew to do. I tried to get between her and my wife. Now, she was kind of a spunky little lady and she smiled and said the interesting thing about it was he got hurt and I didn't. For she just kept pounding and slapping and hitting on the preacher. Finally, she kind of came to herself went out the front door, slammed it behind her, crossed the porch, down the walk, went out to her car in the church parking lot. She got in her car and slammed the door behind her, stuck the key in the ignition and started the motor. She pushed the gas pedal clear to the floor. The only thing that saved her life was she forgot to pull it in drive. 
That car revved to such high RPMs, it just, it just flooded it out. It killed the motor right there. And that little spunky preacher's wife said, I'm going down there to see her. Her daughter said, oh, mama, don't do it. She'll hurt you. Hmm. She said, I'm going. She went down the same walk, out to the car, came up to the window, and the lady was slowly rolling down the glass. Big tears were now streaming down her cheeks. She called her preacher's wife by name, and she said, Sister, do you think I need to be sanctified? <laughs> there was very little question she needed to be sanctified. I don't know whether the lady had ever been saved or not, but I can tell you this, if she had been, she had some serious repenting to do and restitution to make. But I'm glad to tell you if you know your sins have been forgiven and you know your name is written in heaven and you know you're justified in the sight of God and you know you're adopted into the family, you qualify for the wonderful cleansing work. And I want to tell you God in heaven has provided a way to cleanse the nature of sin and deal with the inner pollution of your soul. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, knowing this. I had a fellow several years ago, and I dare not get on this little tangent, but anyway, I had a fellow say to me one day, you know, I don't believe in eradication. He said that word's not in the Bible. Well, he's right. The word eradication isn't in the Bible. But if that word bothers you, just use the words that are, that are in the Bible. That's okay with me. Listen to what the words Paul uses, knowing this, that our old man, and that's not your husband, by the way, or your boyfriend either, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Friend, I want to tell you, God has provided a remedy. God has provided in Calvary and in the blood of Jesus Christ that the blood of Jesus Christ can go deeper than the stain of sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm glad to tell you, you don't have to go on with the inner rumblings of a nature of sin that has caused you problems and caused you to go down to spiritual defeat. You can make a complete sacrifice. You can put your all on the altar. You can put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and die out to all self. And God can cleanse the nature of sin from your heart. By the way, that's how God produces the beauty of holiness. May I ask you this Tuesday night? Has God produced the beauty of his holiness in you? You say, preacher, if I was just honest with myself, I'm over here. I'd have to get on my knees and ask God to forgive me for there are transgressions in my life that must be forgiven. I'm glad to tell you <laughs> there is blood that is sufficient to forgive. There is grace sufficient to save. Some of you might say, preacher, I believe Jesus saved me. I believe every sin that I ever committed has been blotted out and my name is written in heaven, but I have sensed in my heart a deeper need. I'm glad to tell you his blood can go deeper <laughs> and can cleanse you from the nature of sin. And God can produce the beauty, the beauty of holiness. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com.
This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Has been passed, I don't want-